Now, I've been told you've been looking at some of the parables in the Bible over the last wee while. So if you have a Bible there with you, we're going to turn, please, to Luke's Gospel, and it's chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And it's lovely to be with you, and we trust God will really speak to our hearts. I don't know most of you tonight. Uh, some of you, I'm sure, know the Lord, and you're saved and walking with him. Maybe others aren't. But we trust that tonight, as we consider this parable of the Great Supper, that God will speak to us through his word. So it's Luke chapter 14, and we're going to read at verse number 15. Luke 14 and verse number 15. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed as he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he, that's the Lord Jesus, unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and sent the servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them, I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said unto his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto his servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And we trust God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. You know, one of the biggest uh, stumbling blocks to the Savior's ministry came from the religious establishment, the religious people of his day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, the doctors of the law, often sought to oppose the Savior in his ministry. And in Luke chapter 14, in the opening verses of the chapter, we read that the Lord has been brought into the house of a group of Pharisees, very legalistic, religious, rigid people who felt that they could get to heaven by keeping all these rules and regulations. And as the Lord sits in that house, they're all looking at him and they're watching him because they are hoping in their hearts he will say something that maybe contradicts their law or he will do something that they're not happy with and they will be able to bring an accusation against him and maybe get him put into prison or something like that. And so, so often whenever the Lord was amongst people like that, he would have told a parable. And whenever the Lord spoke by way of parable, he brought a, a an earthly story, a temporal story that everybody can relate to. And then there was a spiritual application underneath that. And very often whenever he spoke by way of parable, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they couldn't really understand what he was saying. But ordinary people, the Bible says, the common people heard him gladly. And this parable is a very simple one. It's about a man who's wealthy and also very kind and considerate of his neighbors. And he prepares this great supper. And then he sends his servant to go out just before supper time. 
and to invite all of the different neighbours and friends in to come and enjoy this great supper. And there's a wonderful gospel application for us tonight, but there's also an application for those of us that are saved to be busy uh, serving and working for the Master. And there's just a few simple things that I would like you to notice. If you look there in your Bible at verse number 16, you've got very simply a banquet or a supper that was provided. A certain man made a great supper and bade or invited many. We're not told what this man's name was. We're not told what age he was. We're not told what tribe he belonged to. We're not told what he did for a living. But we know that this man was evidently very wealthy because he must have lived in a big house uh, with enough room to bring as many people in as wanted to sit at this supper. It's evident that he must have had servants because he employed this particular servant to go out. And he was also wealthy enough to buy all of the food for this great supper. So we know that he was rich. And we also know that he was kind and he was always thinking about other people. Thinking outside of his own walls. So there's people in this area and maybe they would enjoy coming to my home and sitting around my table and enjoying this great supper. And it was free of charge. So he was rich, he was considerate, and he was very, very kind and generous. And it just reminds us of the God of heaven. And this banquet reminds us of what God has prepared for us in the gospel. You know, God loves us all tonight. I hope we all understand that. And God, the Bible says, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and every beast of the forest belongs to him. And God considers us and he thinks about this world and God is kind and gracious and wants us to come into fellowship with himself and to sit as it were at his table and to enjoy his presence and all the good things that God has provided. Remember the 23rd Psalm, David said, Lord, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And so there's a great supper, a great banquet for us in time. We can enjoy our sins forgiven. We can enjoy peace with God. We can enjoy access to God in prayer. We can know the Lord's grace and help through trials and difficulties in life. But then the Bible also speaks about the great marriage supper of the Lamb in eternity in Revelation chapter 19. That speaks about heaven. And the Lord invites us all to come and enjoy this great banquet that he has provided. It says in verse number 17, all things are now ready. So nobody had to bring any food of their own. Nobody had to bring the dessert or the starter or part of the main course or even a, a bottle or two of, of drink or something to enjoy around this table. All things were ready. All they had to do was come just the way they are. All things were ready. We could say that the door had been opened, the table had been set, the food had been prepared, and the fire perhaps had been stoked, and all the servants are waiting on hand to serve the guests as they arrive. All things are ready, and all the people have to do is come. And so it is with the gospel. You know, sometimes I meet people and you talk about being a Christian, you talk about getting saved, and they say things, well, I couldn't keep it, or I wouldn't be good enough, or I couldn't live that sort of lifestyle. And then others are saying, well, I try my best, I go to church, I'm not a bad person, I do this, that, and the other. And so many people are trying to do things in their own strength 
to have a place in heaven someday. But the Bible says all things are ready. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and died for us upon the cross. You've maybe heard that little chorus, love, love, L-O-V-E, love, love, boundless and free. Jesus left heaven to die on the tree. It was love, love, love. And then the second verse says, done, done, D-O-N-E, done, done, done perfectly. Finished Christ cried when in Calvary he died. So it's done, done, done. So the door has been opened by our Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. He says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. The price has been paid. The Bible says the wages, the payment for our sins is death. But on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price and paid the great debt and opened a way for us into the kingdom of God. And all things are presently now ready. Nothing else has to be done. Jesus Christ has done a perfect work. So this great banquet has been provided. And then the second things in verse number 17, an invitation that is extended. He sent the servant out at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. And the invitation you'll notice there is very, very simple. Just one word, come. All you have to do is come. You don't have to bring anything with you. You don't have to book a slot. I know that if you go to a restaurant now with everything that's been going on, you might have to ring up. You might have to download the app. You might have to go onto their website. You have to bring your mask. You have to do all of these different things. And sometimes it's so complicated, but here it's so simple. Just come. All things are now ready. The door is open. It's simple. And so it is with coming to Christ. He just wants us to come and put our faith and trust in him. And as well, the invitation is very sincere. This man here, it's not just like he's saying, he sees somebody and he better invite them. And invite, you know, would you want to come and tries to put them off? No, he wants people to come and God loves you tonight and he wants you to come and put your faith and trust in him. He's really, really sincere. You'll notice that the invitation is urgent. Come for all things are now ready. You know, some people wait and they put off coming to Christ to say, well, maybe later in life when I get through my teenage years and enjoy a little bit of this world, or maybe after I get married or finish school or university, maybe later on in life when I'm in middle age, or maybe later on when I die. But the Bible says, come now. All things are now ready. You know, whenever the Bible speaks about salvation, it's always present tense. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And the invitation as well was repeated. He sent a servant out at supper time to say to them who were bidden, they'd been invited before, now they're being invited again, come for all things are now ready. So they knew about this. They had maybe heard the general invitation before, but now the invitation is very specific. Face to face, this wee servant goes out and he says, do you want to come? And he speaks to another, will you come? And still another, will you come? And maybe tonight you have heard the gospel and you've heard about the Bible and you've heard about the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross and you've heard about heaven and hell and you know all the stories in the Bible and you could quote all of these wonderful verses that are up around this hall and you've heard the invitation before, but maybe you've never responded. And God speaking to you tonight, will you come now? The invitation is so simple. 
know, I sometimes tell the story about a, a man who lived in Belfast. His name was Sammy Spence. And many years ago, there was an organization called the Cool Men's Mission. And they worked all over Northern Ireland, but especially in East Belfast, around the shipyard where the Titanic was built. And Sammy Spence, whenever he was a little boy, he used to go down to the shipyard at nights and he would sell the local paper, which was the Belfast Telegraph. And he didn't come from a very wealthy home. In fact, he had no shoes in his feet in those days. And his clothes were ragged and his hair was disheveled. And he just wasn't dressed maybe the way we would dress. But there he was, he's selling the telegraph. And then this man came along with a top hat and a big fancy suit and an overcoat with tails. And he was looking all around the shipyard and he saw Sammy Spence with his newspapers. And he was calling out to the men about the telegraph, the late edition. And he went over this great, this famous man and said, who are you? And he says, I'm Sammy Spence. And he says, well, what do you do here? Do you just sell this paper every night? He says, yeah, Monday through to Saturday, I'm here. And he says, well, I'll tell you who I am. And he gave the boy his name. He says, I'm an artist. And I've been commissioned by a famous art gallery uh, to paint the shipyard and canvas. And it's going to go into the city hall in Belfast. And I want you to stand where you are today and I want you to come back tomorrow and sell your papers and I'm going to paint you into my big picture. And Sammy Spence couldn't believe this. He ran home as fast as he could when the shift was over like the boy that had won the golden ticket and he burst in through the doors of his home and he told his mum what had happened and his mum says, well, you can't go back dressed like that tomorrow. So she got a big tin tub out and filled it with warm water. She cut his hair. She cut his nails. She washed him. She got the eldest brother, who was the only person in the family with a decent suit, and she got the, the shirt, and she rolled up the sleeves, and she pinned it in at the back, and rolled up the trouser legs, and got a big belt on, and tried her best to make him look really, really, really just that this man's going to be impressed, with a big pair of shoes on his feet that were a couple of sizes too big. So the next night, Sammy Spence went back, and was down there at the shipyard, and the painter came along, and he set up his easel, and his stool and his paints and his brushes and got out his palette and put his canvas up and he was about to start and Sammy Spence came running over thinking he's going to be really, really impressed and he said, sir, where do you want me to stand? And the man looked at him and says, who are you? And he says, I'm Sammy Spence. You were speaking to me last night and you said you were going to paint me. Do you want me to stand over here? And the man said, hold on, son. He says, whenever I ask you to come back, he says, I wanted you to come just the way you are. I don't want you to go away and try to look like somebody else or try to impress me or clean yourself up. I wanted you to come just the way you are. And many years later, Sammy Spence, when he became a Christian, would have told that story and says, that's just like the Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world and he invites us to come to him and he wants us to come just the way we are. He doesn't want us to try to be like somebody else. Or try to impress him because he loved us and died for us and invites us to come just the way we are. And God loves you tonight just the way you are. Notice another wee thing here. The offer that was refused. The servant goes out at supper time to say to them, We're bidden, come for all things are now ready. And then verse 18 begins with the words, And they all with one consent began to make excuse. They had heard the general invitation before. They had maybe said yes to that. 
But then whenever they were asked specifically and personally, now is the time, would you come tonight? And all of a sudden they backed off and their excuses were all different. They were all weak excuses, but they were all agreed were not coming. They were saying no to this servant and saying no to the master. And maybe you're a Christian and you've invited people to come along to the meeting here or you've maybe spoke to a friend at school or college or some other place or a family member and you try to tell them about the Lord and they just make some excuse or they laugh it off and they shrug their shoulders. This wee servant, I'm sure, got discouraged but he kept on inviting others. Now the first person says, I have bought a plot of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray they have me excused. Now there's nothing wrong with buying a plot of ground. He might have bought it to graze cattle on, to build on, to grow crops on. But just think about it for a moment. Who would buy a plot of ground without looking at it first? And not only that, it's supper time and it's got dark. And it's it's not a really good excuse at all. I've bought a plot of ground that I haven't even looked at. I don't know what it's like. I don't really know anything about it. And I was just about to go out tonight and test this plot of ground and get a look at it. But it's dark and it's not a very good excuse at all. And then the other one, he goes up the street and there's another man, a farmer this time. And he's a similar excuse. I've bought five yoke of oxen. I would come to the supper surely, but would you believe it? I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I've exchanged my money. I don't know what they're like. And I'm just about to go out right now and see my yoke of oxen. Might sound like a good excuse, but whenever you think about it, no farmer would part with money and buy cattle without seeing them first. And again, it's summertime. It's like somebody telling you they've got a great deal for you. I remember once, my first car was a a Mini. You know the old, not the, the new Minis, but the Minis. This was like a 1990 British Racing Green. It was my, I absolutely loved this wee car. And one day I was going to work and it hit another car and it was a write-off and I was gutted. And then the insurance came through and I thought, right, I'm going to go out and buy a Vauxhall Nova. Is anybody Vauxhall Nova? Well, Vauxhall Novas, when I was a teenager, were well sought after cars. So I rang this guy up at the other side of the town and he'd advertised the Vauxhall Nova in the paper and he, he just sold it so well over the phone and he was almost asking for my bank details over the phone and it just sounded like the brilliant wee car and I said to him, well, can I come and take it for a drive and then we'll maybe talk about the price and he says, well, I suppose if you want to and I remember going across the town with my dad and finding this house and knocking the door and this man came to the door and I says, I'm here to see about the Nova and he opened up his garage door and there was the Nova and it didn't look anything like the car that he described to me in the phone. It was a big dent right in the middle of the roof and he threw me the keys and said, you can take it for a drive if you want and as soon as I got the keys, he ran back in the house and this car was awful. And there's people out there and, you know, they would sell you anything. They'd try to rip you off. But nobody would buy a car like that over the phone or give their bank details over the phone. And nobody would buy something like that without looking at it first. And so these excuses are silly, aren't they? And then the last man comes out and I can see this is almost the worst of all. And the door knocks and the wee man's in the door, the servant, and he says, come to the big supper. And he steps out and says, I have just recently got married and my wife won't let me out of the house. I'm a prisoner of my own home. I've married a wife 
and I can't come either. Not awful. You know, I bet you she was invited as well. And I'm sure if she'd been invited, she wouldn't have turned down a free meal either. And he was just saying, I can't get out because I'm married. And these are all really weak excuses. But maybe you're not a Christian tonight, or you're not walking with God, or you're cold at heart, and you're backslidden, and you're not really enjoying the Lord, and yet he invites you to come to him. Maybe tonight you have got an excuse as to why you're not a Christian. Maybe you say, well, you know, I'm good enough. The Bible says all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. You say, well, maybe I'm not in much danger at all. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. Maybe you say, well, I've got a habit that I can't give up. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe you say, well, I've got a lot of friends, and if I became a Christian or I told people I was a Christian and began to walk with God, I might lose my friends. The Bible says you would gain a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You say, well, there's so much to lose if I become a Christian. The Bible says, watch no profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul. You say, well, I'm afraid if I became a Christian, I couldn't keep it. The Bible says he is able to keep you from falling. You say, but listen, I'm so weak. The Bible says his strength is made perfect in weakness. You say, well, I might get laughed at or persecuted. You might. But the Lord will stick up for you. He'll be with you. You say, well, maybe it's too late for me. The Bible says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You say, listen, I've got loads and loads of time in front of me. I'm 10, 12, 15 years of age, 16. I'm still young. I've got lots and lots of time. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You say, well, hang on. I go to church, I go to youth meetings, I go to Christian union at school. The Bible says it's by grace that we're saved through faith and not of works. You say, well, what happens if I try to become a Christian and the Lord won't receive me, he won't take me in? Jesus said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You say, but there's so many things I don't understand and my faith is so small. The Bible says, if you've even got faith as a grain of mustard seed, God can honor that. And then one excuse, it's probably the best excuse people have nowadays, but sure, there's so many hypocrites in the church. And there's so many phonies and there's so many fake Christians and I know a person who says they're a Christian and they do this, that and the other. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ was no hypocrite. He was sincere, he was honest. And the Bible says those who believe in him will never be ashamed or disappointed. wonder what your excuse is tonight if you're not a Christian. What will that excuse sound like at the great white throne judgment Someday. Look at the very last point we've got this evening. We've thought about the banquet provided and the invitation extended and the offer that was refused. Verse 21, the people who responded. The servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry. He didn't like these excuses. In fact, he was probably quite hurt by them. I love these people and I've spent time and money thinking about them and they don't even want to come. He was angry, but he sent the servant out again and says, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Bring in people that are poor. Bring in people that are maimed, that have been hurt and injured in life's journey. 
bringing people that are halt, that maybe can't walk too well and they're lame in their feet, and bringing people that are blind. These are the people in Bible times who think they thought they didn't matter. Nobody cares about us. Nobody loves us. Nobody would bring us into their home. But this man cared about them. And maybe tonight life has hurt you and you come to a meeting like this and inside your heart there's pain and there's loneliness and there's disappointment and there's questions and you've been hurt by life. God invites you to come and give your life to him. He loves us just the way we are. And they all responded immediately. The servant says, Master, it's done as you've commanded. And there's still room. So they had come and there was still room. Isn't it wonderful to know tonight that there's still room for you? If you're not a Christian, there's still room for you. God has kept the door open and he invites you to come. Yet there is room. Verse 23. And this is a verse to challenge Christians. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. That my house may be filled. It would be wonderful. If God could use you and use me to reach people all around these areas, to bring them in, even in a place like this, or a church service, or a youth fellowship, so that they can hear the gospel and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The saddest words in the whole parable, verse 24, the master says, None of those men that were bidden shall taste of my supper. See the ones that made the excuses that had been invited before? And they'd heard all about this and they were too busy and they had other things to do and the more important things. He says, they're never going to taste of my supper. They've missed their opportunity. And it was like the Lord Jesus was speaking here to these religious Pharisees and they had been invited and they knew the Old Testament stories and they knew the law and all the scriptures that pointed to the Savior. And now that the Savior has come and he's offered salvation to the Jewish people and they, re they reject him and they despise him. Many of them will never, never were going to taste of the supper. They'd miss their opportunity. And you can miss your opportunity to get right with God. There was a famous preacher years ago, and I read his biography when I was a young Christian, still in my teens. His name was Duncan Campbell. He grew up in Scotland, and he was greatly used of God in an organization called the Faith Mission. And this hall, these wee photographs, was looking at them. Uh, there's different Faith Mission people in these pictures. And they would have known some of them, Duncan Campbell, personally. He was the principal at one time of the Faith Mission College in the 1960s. But he was converted one night in a hall like this. It was a band hall up in the north of Scotland, outside a place called Oban. He was up at the front playing the bagpipes. It was like, I suppose, like a disco back in those days. And all the young people were dancing. He was playing the bagpipes. And as he was playing the bagpipes, he says it was an old Scottish tune called The Green Hills of Tyrol. And all of a sudden, as he was thinking about the green hills of Tyrol, he began to think about another green hill. The chorus says there's a green hill far away outside the city wall where the dear Lord was crucified. He died to save us all. And all of a sudden, he came under this real sense of conviction of sin. And he stood up and he put the bagpipes down and he walked down towards the end of the, the hall and the chairman says, Duncan, where are you going? It was getting late and he says, I'm going home. And unless I'm not mistaken, he says, I'm never going to be back in a hall like this again. And the chairman says, what's the problem? And he said these words, I am troubled about my sin. And he left the dance hall. It was just an area like this here, Studer. And he walked down a country road and he came to a, a T-junction 
And as he was about to turn to go down towards the house that he lived in, he heard footsteps coming, running behind him, and it was a friend of his. And the friend says, Duncan, what's wrong? And Duncan said the same thing, I am troubled about my sin. And the other young man said, I'm troubled as well. I've been thinking about becoming a Christian. I'm concerned. And they talked for a little while. And the young man says, Duncan, what are you going to do? And he says, I'm going to go home and get right with God. And the other young man says, I'm going to go home, but I'm going to think about it. This is a big decision. I'll think about it a little bit longer. So they parted company and Duncan Hamble was making his way home and he came to the church that he attended and there was a light on in the church and he went up to the door of the church and he opened the door and there were five or six old men praying at the front of the church and one of those men was Duncan Campbell's father and he heard his father praying for the salvation. His father at that moment, about 12 o'clock at night, was praying that God would speak to his son and that's exactly what had happened. He waited for his father to finish praying and he told him how he was feeling. His dad says, Duncan, go home and seek the Lord. And so he went home and it was maybe half past 12 at this time and there was a light on in the kitchen. He opened the kitchen door and there was his mother and she was on her knees praying at the cooker for the salvation of her son. So both the mum and dad praying for the salvation of their son, Duncan. And they said, the mother said, Duncan, go out into the barn and just tell God what you've told me. And he went out and he sought the Lord and he became a Christian and was greatly used of God. Wonderful, wonderful man of God. But many, many years later, maybe 50 years after that, some faith mission pilgrims were conducting a meeting in a nursing home in that part of Scotland. And whenever the meeting was over and they'd been singing some old hymns, they went around all of the old folk and they spoke to them and they exchanged their greetings and there was one man who had sat with, in an armchair with his back towards the pilgrims. The, that's the faith mission workers. And he was just looking out the window. And one of them put their hand on his shoulder and said, Sir, we'd like to talk to you just for a moment or two about the gospel. And he just put up his hand and says, Don't speak to me about that. He says, I made my choice the night Duncan Campbell got saved. And that was the last time he was ever really troubled about his soul. And he lived a long, long life. But the Lord never seemed to speak to him the same way that he did. So there were two men. One went this way and one went that way. One came to the Lord. One rejected the Lord. One was used by God. and Both men now out in God's eternity. And one responded to the great invitation. And one rejected it. And I would love to know tonight, you can only answer it for yourself. Have you responded? Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you haven't, we'll help you any way we can. But folks, thanks for having me. And we'll just have a wee word of prayer and then I'll hand it back to David and Ross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, for your word and for this wonderful parable. We pray that you will write it upon our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for these young lives. And we pray that many of them will hear the call of God. And in fact, we just pray that each and every one of us will know God's salvation. Lord, don't let anybody leave if they're thinking about getting right with God. Don't let them leave without the Saviour. And Lord, for those that are saved, help us to be like the servant in the story that the Savior told. Help us to tell others. Help us, Lord, not to get discouraged whenever maybe people laugh or they make excuses or they don't want anything to do with it. Help us to press on and to see a work done for God. Write your word upon our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.